My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast. This is our formal April episode, even though we've been putting out some additional content. Um, This episode is going to be a little bit longer than your normal episode because we've got a lot of really great material today, um, as well as something a little bit special. So we're your hosts. I'm Cami Ahrens. And I'm TJ Smith. And we are social distancing and self-isolating as much as possible. Yes, so we're really excited to be able to keep producing digital content for you guys. So we're no longer sharing a microphone, thanks to Ryan Olson, who generously allowed us the use of his additional microphone so that we could keep our distance. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) So anyway, today, as we move into April, finally, and sunshine and warm weather, I think this weekend, it might get in the 80s, which is crazy. Yes. Things are popping up all over the land. I, this week, harvested a bunch of violets and actually made a violet simple syrup that I posted to our blog if you guys are interested in checking that out. It's a really simple process. And then what's awesome is you can take that simple syrup and freeze it and turn it into a sorbet, or you can add it to like sparkling water or lemonade and have a really refreshing and actually healthy drink. But that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge about wild plants. So we're bringing in some experts today to provide you guys a little bit more information. You've done a violet jam before. I did do the violet jam last year. So I posted that recipe to the blog as well. It actually comes from the Foxfire book of Appalachian cookery. I did not have pectin on hand, nor did I have a half a cup of lemon juice. So I was doing a pantry friendly social distancing (laughs) recipe. What have I got in here? What can I use? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, But what's really cool, and I didn't realize this because of the jam, because the jam just has you add lemon juice as part of the recipe. The simple syrup, you cook the violets down by themselves, and they actually turn this ugly gray color. I mean, it looks like dirty dishwater. And then you put in lemon juice, and with each drop of lemon juice, it changes colors because the pH of the water is changing. Okay. So it goes from this gray within like a couple of drops of lemon juice to this beautiful lilac color. So it's a pretty cool project, especially for kids. It might be kind of fun. So um, you you can definitely do more about researching why that happens, but I was like, whoa. It's almost like lemon juice with uh, the hidden, like when you did the secret messages. Oh, yeah, the invisible ink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. lemon juice has this amazing ability to bring things out. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. The only thing that's kind of disappointing is it really just tastes like sugar. Yeah. But, you know, it does have a lot of vitamins in it, which is really cool. Violets are chock full of good vitamins. Now, just like offhand, have you ever had uh, kudzu jelly? I've not. Yeah, so the kudzu flower is super sweet. Like, it smells really sweet. And um, one of our, our um, on-site artists who just joined us this year, he's but he's from Raven County. His name is Cleve Phillips. Cleve uh, is known as the kudzu king. Uh, he makes furniture and, and all kinds of um, arrangements and wreaths. Christmas trees. And Christmas trees <laughs> and these amazing sculptures out of kudzu vine. 
which is really cool. But one of the things he gave me last year was a little thing of kudzu jelly. And I, I remember, you know, I, I've smelled kudzu flowers before. They are very pungently sweet, uh, but the jelly was really good. So mm. that might be something. Yeah, and definitely encourage that one because kudzu is an invasive species. We have species. no shortage of yeah, kudzu. Yeah, so go after it, but, you know, be responsible about it. Yes. Make sure you know where you're harvesting. Yes. Um, yeah, so all kinds of fun stuff. And I've noticed that dandelions are starting to pop up, so I'm trying to collect some dandelions. Um which I've, I've never had dandelion greens before, so I'm pretty excited about that. But today, we're actually going on a little foraging adventure yes. on the property yes. with uh, Carly Langston, who is a good friend of ours, but she's also a pretty well-known herbalist um, and chef nutritionist in Raven County. So she's actually going to take us on a short walk through the property um, point out, you know, some things that we can forage for in the early spring and hopefully share some of her wisdom with us. Yeah. And her, her, she has a little company, a little business called Wildcraft Kitchen. She also hosts a number of our, um, adult now, yeah, now adult camps and (laughs) children's camps here, uh, at Foxfire. We had a really successful run last year of children's camps. Um, uh, both of my boys participated in that and they had a great time learning about herbalism and about cooking and about foraging and all kinds of things. They made so many, so many cool things. They made like a, a insect spray. They made a um, salve. They cooked these amazing meals and it was really great. So she's expanded that to adult classes. So um, depending on how things play out with COVID-19 and how long uh, this continues, uh, we hope that per- perhaps this summer we'll be able to keep our classes and keep our camps going for the adults and the kids that, um, that want to participate. Yeah, and what a great time to learn about how to use your natural resources yes. and how to make things on your own. And it's amazing what you can do with just a few things that you source from outside. So, again... Provided all of this craziness is over soon, we definitely encourage you all to check out what Cara is doing and to join some of her classes and camps here at Foxfire. And, really and, cool. and like us, Cara has been really focusing on doing a lot of free digital content and putting things out there. Um, you know, a lot of um, organizations and, and, and individuals uh, sort of in Foxfire's wheelhouse have been doing these sorts of programs, a lot of them for no cost. So uh, one thing we want to encourage you, like, you know, we understand that everybody's going through economic hardships. Foxfire is no different, nor is businesses like Cara's. If you have an opportunity to donate, if you have the means to donate, please do so. Um, It's greatly appreciated and very much needed, especially in this time when we are seeing um, very little um, action here at the museum. We've put in place some um, new policies about visitation. We, we don't allow people just to drive up and come up to the museum anymore. Um, we, are, um, we, we are drastically shut down as far as um, our normal visitation. So we really are going to be relying more and more on donations. But if you don't feel you know that you can give a donation, you can also just support us by going online and buying some books or buying a shirt or buying a sticker, whatever it is, um, that really helps us out a lot. So every little bit counts, every little bit counts. (laughs) We're going to continue to do this kind of digital content. We've got a whole slew of things planned. Uh, we're doing, um, we'll be talking, um, on another podcast about some gardening stuff. 
Um, today is uh, Friday, March 27th, and we're about an hour away from a live um, Facebook live feed of, um, it's going to be a four-part series on the museum and doing a museum tour. So we're, we're, we're going to continue to put the content out there. We just encourage you, if you have the means, to support us any way you can. That is very much appreciated. And if you can't, just share a post or share a podcast with somebody you know and encourage them to share it with someone. And at least, you know, that's getting getting the word out there and bringing awareness to what we're doing. And if, and if there's things you all want to see or hear more about, um, we're always open to feedback and we're happy to work um, with you all and do what we can to bring you things that'll keep you uh, interested and engaged in this we, time of quarantine. We actually got a really great set of responses yes, last week. Yes, thank you so much yeah. for those of you who responded. That was really helpful. Cami put out uh, sort of a, hey, what, what would you like to see on It Still Lives or just from Foxfire in general? And we got uh, probably about a dozen or more responses from people asking for specific things and a lot of the same things. Like that was what's really interesting. A lot of focus on gardening and cooking and mm-hmm. preserving things and yeah and we'll foods. definitely be bringing you all some cooking and food preservation content so yeah. we're pretty excited about that as well so stay tuned yeah so without further ado here is uh the audio from our adventure with cara really neat um patches of wild foods and um they appear everywhere anywhere a lot of the time they appear along these transition zones where the forest meets the grassy area or where the dark meets the light. These are field garlic or wild, wild garlic or field garlic. This is Allium vanille and it's a really aromatic wild garlic or onion. Sometimes people call it wild onion which confuses folks because there is also a wild onion but um, how you tell the difference is the allium vanille the field garlic or wild garlic has round leaves round hollow leaves and then the um, wild onion has flat leaves it's very delicious and you can make some really yummy compound batters with that Back behind this cabin here, we're seeing some bloodroot in bloom. And bloodroot is one of our classic spring ephemerals. It has that beautiful nodding white flower that you see waving in the wind right now. And um, a deeply lobed leaf. Uh, The leaf is a lobe shape. So it almost reminds me of a jigsaw puzzle piece. So bloodroot is used more medicinally than as a wild food. Um, It is, however, on the at-risk or to-watch list, and um, that's something to note. Medicinally, bloodroot has been used topically to help treat warts. It's kind of caustic, so you actually have to handle it with care. But if you do find a patch on your own property and happen to dig up a little root, um, you'll notice that it's blood red, so that's where it gets its name from. Sanguinaria canadensis. Sanguinaria, or sanguine, refers to blood. 
Nice, there's a lot of cool stuff happening here we can talk about. So here we see some common chickweed. This is the Stellaria media. And um, chickweed is a wonderful wild spring green. Um, I like to just harvest the tender tips of the chickweed plant. This is it over here. Oh good. And it is best to harvest it before the flower blooms. It has really nice tender leaves and they're very neutral tasting. They don't have a very strong overpowering flavor. So they're great to add to cultivated greens to make a nice wild green salad. And chickweed's also great to harvest for pesto. One way to identify the chickweed is to pull the stem apart. And inside is an elastic tendon that runs down the middle of the stem. Medicinally, this is considered a spring tonic and it's really alterative. And alterative is a herbal action that describes that this plant helps to purify the blood. So a lot of our spring tonics, when they come up, um, give us a lot of good nutrition, provide a lot of magnesium and folate, and that gives the body a lot of energy, and also helps to clean the blood and purify our body for the year ahead. And then we've got here some, some bittercress. This is in the mustard family, and you can tell by the seed pods. And you can harvest these um, early on in the spring and eat these raw or cooked. So this is bittercress or cardamine hisuta. The seed pods are really fibrous, but you can get the flavor out of them. The leaves almost remind me of arugula. They're not quite as spicy as arugula, but the shape and the flavor reminds me a little bit of arugula. So this bittercress would be considered in the same family as the creasy greens that we learn a lot about in the Foxfire cookbook. And um, this is a great plant to take note of at this time because um, a lot of folks are concerned about consuming more vitamin C rich foods to help boost their immune system. And cress, like creasy greens and this wild bitter cress, have about three times the amount of vitamin C as um, the equivalent amount of orange. And here we have those violet leaves kind of scattered about, the chordate or heart-shaped leaves. They make a great substitute for spinach or other greens that can be wilted into dishes. Soon we'll start to see the wild grapevines all over the place. And I know they're not favored by a lot of folks as they're a, a very invasive plant and they can choke out the trees, but if we're lucky, we can get some grapes off of them. Yeah, I love to harvest the tender young grape leaves and then I'll save those in my freezer. I'll, I'll uh, freeze them and layers in between parchment paper and then use them to make stuffed grape leaves. All right. So what we see here is some ground ivy and ground ivy is a really carminative herb so it helps to uh, settle the stomach. It's great for digestion and you can use all aerial parts of this plant which means what's growing above the ground to make a really nice tea. So you can boil some water and after you've cleaned the plant matter infuse it into the tea. It um, is also 
It's also traditionally used to treat colds and flu. And it was once known as ale hoof. So before hops were used to make ale, this plant ground ivy was one of the key ingredients. It doesn't actually have its classic yellow this gray flower on it, but what we're seeing here are some toothed leaves of dandelion. And dandelion is really nutritious. It is a bitter green, and as the season goes on, the leaves become more bitter, so spring is a wonderful time to harvest dandelion greens. They still have a mild flavor and they can be used in any recipe that calls for spinach. I love to make spinach pie with these. All right, so here we have some crazy greens. This is uh, the Barbaria species. It is a Brassicaceae. It's in the Brassica family. And in the Foxhawk books, uh, there's some great recipes and definitely get that mustard flavor from it. For folks who would like a milder version of this, you can actually boil the leaves, drain out the water, and then cook with it. So that will help to, um, to make it a little less spicy. There is a lot of benefit uh, to mustard for treating infection. About 100 grams of creasy greens has about 150 grams of um, vitamin C. So about 100 grams of creasy greens has about three times the amount, the same, same amount of orange. All right, so here we see a little patch of mullein or verbascum thapsus. And this plant has a long history here in the Southeast Appalachians. Um, it is a wonderful lung tonic. You can use the leaves to make tea. And the leaves were also used by Native Americans um, as a smoking herb. So, like we're seeing these amazing, beautiful wild violets everywhere. We also have other edible flowers popping up, like these red buds. And um, the red bud is in the pea family, so the flowers taste like little snap peas. We hope you all learned something on our foraging walk with Kara. We're going to bookend that with some content from our archive now. So we do have quite a diverse set of archival um, interviews for you today. We have actually another clip from Kara Lee that was conducted um, during an interview in 2018. So she's got a little bit more interesting insight to share. And then from some of the older interviews, we've got clips from Annie Perry. Ethel Korn, who we've featured multiple times before, Harriet Eccles, Lola Cannon, Jake Waldrup, and finally Florence and Lawton Brooks. So we hope you enjoy all of these and learn something from it. And if you want to continue to learn more, definitely um, take advantage of some of the book sales we're having right now and grab copies of uh, Foxfire 1, 2, and 3. They all have some pretty good material in it related to um, foraging and wild plant foods and medicines. So thank you so much for tuning in and we will uh, again have more content out for you next time. As always, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at itstilllives1 or send us an email at itstilllives at foxfire.org. And we encourage you to stay safe out there and, and keep practicing social distancing and doing all the things to uh, remain healthy. Yes, be well. <laughs> um, one of the plants that is popping up all over my garden right now is wood sorrel or oxalis. There's so many different 
varieties of oxalis and South Africa is known to have a lot of oxalis that's endemic to that region which means it's only found in that region. Similarly there are a lot of plants that are endemic to Rabin County and the Southeast Appalachians that you don't find anywhere else in the world. That also made those two places a lot more special to me thinking about them that way. Um, so oxalis is one of them. We also have lambs quarters in South Africa. The Kinopodium album, I think is its Latin name. And um, you can nibble on those when you're out foraging in the woods. So that's something that took me back home too. Nibble on a piece of lamb's quarter up here and then imagine myself hiking up Chapman's Peak in Cape Town. So <laughs> um, it's a neat thing when those memories can help you connect like that and find that with food as well. You know, I'm a big forager, so at the moment I'm eating a lot of greens. And I'm picking greens from out in the woods and things like that and just putting together simple salads. And I love making my own dressings from scratch. Um, so in, this, in the summertime when it's hot like that, I like to put together things like that that are simple and quick and easy. But in the winter, I gravitate more towards stews and uh, one-pot meals cooked over an open fire. I guess that reminds me then that uh, one of my favorite traditional South African dishes um, is called poikikos. And we take a big Dutch oven pot and put it over a wood fire and we add, you can add meat to it or you can just do veggies, but you layer it with your heaviest veggies on the bottom. Your meat would go on the bottom as well and then say potatoes and carrots, and then your lighter veggies go up top, maybe green beans sitting on the top of the poiki. And you just let it cook slowly for several hours over um, the open fire. And you don't really mix it through a whole lot, but it's seasoned with coriander, and oftentimes we'd use lamb or beef, um, but you could do chicken, you could do pork. I love to go wild crafting, so I love to go harvest sustainably harvest wild plants to make remedies or use in my cooking. How do they make sure it's sustainable? So there are a couple different things you need to look out for. Um, a good forager always observes their areas for at least a year and watches the plants grow through all of its cycles and gets to know if there's any wildlife relying on those plants or any other plants relying on those plants. You also have to study the plants in its community and see what it's around it um, because they work in a network and they all work together and sometimes rely on each other. So always observe for a good year or through all the seasons and you always want to make sure that if you're harvesting you're not over harvesting. So you want to make sure you're um, Finding a stand of plants, which means several plants, many plants, together, several stands would be even better. And you have to walk and really, um, you know, cover some ground to make sure that you're not taking everything. Um, and, you know, I kind of tend to follow like a more of a one in eight rule. If I see, um, for instance, eight elderberry bushes I'm only going to maybe take some from one and I'm not going to take all of the elderberries or elderflowers from that one um, I'm going to take you know just what I need not 
not deplete its resources. What about poke salad? Can you make anything? Well, I never did can none of it, but I cooked it. To, and to I eat? Par, parboil it, I boil it, boil it uh, till it gets tender, and then take it out and wash it, oh. and uh, then then put it. After I get it washed good, I put it then in grease and fry it. Put eggs in it. Oh, do you still do that now? Do yeah, you? She takes do some sometime in the spring of the year. I did this, this last it's spring. So I fixed young, the mess it? that away. Wow. You can cook it without putting the eggs in it, but... Uh, it gives it more flavor or something? Yeah, yeah, it's a little better with the eggs in it. Boy, it does, doesn't it? It sounds delicious. I like a little of it. I don't like it too often. I like it pretty good. I never tasted it. I haven't either. It's poison, though. Pork salad is poison to not to cook it and parboil it. Did you ever drink any sassafras tea? No, I didn't. A lot of folks likes it. Is it good for anything? And the best thing to flavor it up was... They just like it. It tastes good. Yeah. It's kind of... root. Now, that's what I was trying to think of. Boy, it's the best earth smell. You know, it's a wild earth smell. Get it in coals and hollers, you know, where it's good, rich black dirt, and that smells the best. Spigment? Spigment. I guess, spigment. Spigment. Spigment, yeah. Wow. Well, it'll fool you. The leaves, uh, if you don't know ginseng, it'll be good. It'll fool you the leaves that with. Briar leaves and papagrass. Young briar leaves. And put them on and Cook them just like you would turnip salads and season them, salt them. That's the way that they eat them. Did they fry them or anything? No, they just boiled them. Well, what were some of them other kind that you said? Well, now, people would get out and get white dock and mix it with uh, horseradish leaves and put you put it on and parboil it till it's tender and then you put it out in a pan and fry it. Right. What then the Ann, they pick it when it's tender, and you have to parboil it, take it out, and wash it good, and put your water's clear, and squeeze it out of that water, and put it in a pan, and grease, and fry. And you find it along branch banks, is where it grows at. What does it look like? It looks sort of like a married like golden globe flowers and it'll run up when it goes to seed and have a yellow bloom on it and it grows big but you have to watch in picking it because wild parsnip looks similar to it only hits more of a whitish leaf than that and it's poison or something yeah wild parsnip is poison it'll kill you well what about this Pork salad and stuff like that. Is it? How do you do it? Well, you pick it when it's tender, and uh, parboil it, good and tender, and you fry it. Then wash it, fry it in, break you some eggs in, and fry it with eggs. But the most of old people fried during just plain, and it is a healthy thing. The doctor says that uh, everybody should eat. 
one or two messes of poke salad every spring that it was worth more. Doc Nevels is the one said it, that it was worth more than medicine to people. And you can take the stalks when they're right young and tender before they get peppy, and you can peel them and cut them up round and put salt and black pepper and roll them in meal and fry them, and they eat like shrimp. Like shrimp? Yeah. They taste like a shrimp. And a lot of people would get the pork salad, and I did get the pork salad, the, the wild pork, and put with it. And I don't don't like the pork salad too much right by itself. I love it, but I like a handful of mustard or something else to go with it. But it's delicious. And did you know you can make the most delicious pickle? You know where it comes up and has that little stalk that like that. Keep your greens on and just tenderize, just just scald, you might say, in boiling water, that little stem, stem and make pickle. No, but that would oh, be good. It's delicious. Oh, my mother never failed to make my dad uh, poke salt pickles. We always called our and and you know I like that little stalk with my yeah. I pick it off and cook that with my greens. Yeah. I do too. Mom always goes on and says, pull them on. And you know, Grandma Cable, oh, she have a bit if she knows she had a bite of folk salad. She just knows as far as if I'm in and the good Lord spares me. And they send folk berries this time. I'm going to make folk berry wine for my old friends. I don't know how to fix it yet, but I'm going to find out or I'm going to try. And they tell me if you fix it, it's just like any other wine, but it doesn't take as much sugar. And a, a tablespoonful three times a day would cure any case of remedies. And it's worth a try. Yeah. You don't find too much of everything right at first in the spring, and you just go on about, I do here, and Agnes's husband just has a fit. <laughs> he thought at first he wouldn't. He wouldn't, and he loves greens, and he wouldn't eat because he spread out the folks with it. And I had got some curly uh, kale, just a little package of seeds, and so that a little come up and, and in the fall, and then it could come up the root from the roots in the spring, you know. And I got out and got enough to have us a good mess for supper. He looked, and he looked, and he says, well, Russell, that isn't folks salad, that's curly kale. Well, he just ate, and ate, and ate, and he said, well, if it's folks salad, it'll kill. He got through, and Dick will be the dad, he still didn't trust us, and we didn't have folks salad, did Well, you know, there's hardly anything growing in the mountains that is not eatable, if you know how to it. You know, the bamboo stalks are good. How do you... Well, you watch uh, when they first make the little hump in the ground as they're coming through. If you dig down, it's uh, oh, four or five inches, a big, tender, white uh, stem. You slice that, cut it crosswise like okra, and it ha it's, uh, it's a Chinese food, all right. What? It has uh, this... Uh, Bamboo. The bamboo. Mm -hmm. 
It's real good. Oh, yeah. But you have to be very careful to get it while it's tender. You fry it or? No, you can fry it or you can put it in soups. Eat raw. Anyway, I hadn't tried eating it raw, but probably. You barely cooked it. What does it taste like? Well, like any Chinese food. Kind of bland. You need to. Soy sauce or something. I don't have much flavor, but it's just it's a novelty, yeah, and uh, they it's say it's real good, uh, real full of vitamins. You know, there aren't too many things growing in the mountains that's uh, not good to eat. Anything else like you remember that you could talk about? Oh, the uh, poke salad, you, yeah. you've seen that prepared. And then there's a little, I guess you'd call it a weed, lamb's quarter. Yeah. It has little funny shaped leaves. Oh, and in the spring, they are delicious in a salad or they're equally good cooked for greens. Like, are you cooked turnip greens? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they too are like uh, <coughs> uh, the poke salad. You know, you must cook the poke salad and drain the water off because it contains too much of something if you don't. Mm -hmm. But this little lamb's quarter and two people use it uh, like uh, rhubarb for making a pie. It has a kind of a sour taste. Makes it delightful. Cobbler pie. They'd get wild cherry bark and they'd make tea out of that and drink. They said that they mostly have that for the spring of the year. They said that was the best tonic, you know. They, all of them believed a whole lot in the spring of the year that they had, right. to, had to build their health up some. And they'd really go for that uh, wild cherry bark. Mm -hmm. They'd take that and Grave it off, peel it out, you know, and put it in water or put it in a container sometimes. And some of them, if they could get it, why well, they'd put a little moonshine whiskey in with it. And some of them used to have a joke and say on it, you know, why well, they'd uh, get their bark and they'd put it in the box. And then they'd get their moonshine, set it in on top of it in a jug. That was, that was more of a joke. Actually, what they done, they made bitters out of it. Yeah. They'd make the bitters out of it. And they drank them, and they, they thought they, that they couldn't get through the spring of the year if they didn't build their stuff up with some yeah. of them, them cherry bitters. How about the sarvisberry? What were they, what are they used for? Sarvis, well, people eat sarvis. I never did move them for nothing on this. I'll just eat them. People just eat them. I'll eat them. Okay. Where do they like to grow? Well, you'll find uh, you'll find sarvices around. They just grow right near any kind of a place. Sarvices they, they grow around on the side of the ridges and around places like that. And do you know about when they they come out? A sarvice is about the earliest. They bloom early. They bloom early. A sarvice blooms early. It won't be long. Sarvice go bloom. You've seen them along the roads in the spring. You, white trees full of them. You pointed them out to me. Yeah. Well, now they are they are early blooming thing. But in this country, we got so many blasted birds, you can't never get to eat no more. Because when they go to turn it red, the birds fix them. Yeah, I see. And they get dark before they get ready to eat. You see, every time you get ready for you to eat them, bite the birds done got your sarvices to eat up. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>